had that passage read in Romans 14, um, and we'll actually look at that a little bit. That's not our text. Our text is going to be in 1 Corinthians 8, as well as 1 Corinthians 10, and some other passages. But I want you to look at some of the these statements and see if, if when they're given the way they're given, how they could be taken very offensively. Um, when we look at the text here, if I can get, get that going, notice this, these kinds of statements. Here's a homeschool parent talking to themselves, if you will, about maybe one of these parents that have their children in the public school or private school. I can't believe any Christian would allow their children to go to public school. Or how about, there we go, how about I work this way. <laughs> how about maybe a public school parent saying, those homeschool children, they're socially backwards. Maybe you have a Republican saying to a Democrat, how can you be a Democrat and a Christian? Or how can you even call yourself a Christian? Maybe you have a statement like some person who is against small families saying, don't you know God said be fruitful and multiply? It's in the Scriptures. Or you have a person that believes in having small families saying, don't you know what causes that? They have birth control, you know. These are actual statements, or very close to actual statements heard by yours truly. I hope I never said any of these things. But if I did, I'm sure I offended some. Maybe you've said it. Maybe it was, I don't know, out of light humor. And sometimes, you know, there are there's times and places when light humor is perfectly acceptable, but sometimes that can be blurry grounds. We go from, well, I, I thought we were on the same page, and I was just kidding. I wasn't meaning to be offensive towards you. And they're understood and enjoyed by all when there are, in fact, these statements under those conditions. But often enough, these very same statements that can be taken during light, humorous periods are thrown out thoughtlessly with insensitivity to the other person that's receiving that light humor, if you will. Or it's done with sarcasm. And you know, when we speak that way, I wish I'd brought the Proverbs out, because there's a passage in Proverbs that talk about, I'm only joking. There are times when we use that as a mechanism to say what we want to say, to get the point across, maybe in a light way, but you get the point, right? But when someone calls me on the carpet, well, I'm just joking. There are times when, when things that are meant to be humorous are in fact very damaging to the relationships that we have with one another. And, and so important statements like these, typically when done in jest or even done seriously, it reveals a lot about who we are and what we believe. You know, if, if I'm a person that talks about someone else and I'll say a statement, that really tells a lot about my personal convictions, what I believe. That's very typical of these kinds of statements. And so these convictions then, along with how we present them to others are the focus of the sermon. What I'm wanting us to get from the lesson this morning is the fact that you're going to have within any congregation, let alone people in the world or other brothers and sisters in Christ outside of this building, if you will, that are going to have different opinions than you do. Go figure. I don't know how that works. I don't know why. I don't know why that, that people with different ages, different sexes, uh, different cultural backgrounds, different upbringings. I don't know why we'd have any differences of opinion. 
especially when Jesus said in John chapter 17, I pray that we all be one. Maybe Jesus meant something a little more different than what we have with what I pray you be one or that they'll be one means. Because, in fact, within a family, you're going to have differences, let alone a congregation. And so we need to understand, well, there are going to be times of these opinions in which we have differences. And, in fact, when I use the words opinion, sometimes what I think is an opinion to you may be doctrine. You see, we looked at Romans chapter 14, and I don't doubt in my mind when Paul said there are doubtful things, that some of these things that were doubtful are in fact in the minds of these brethren, whether it's in Romans 14 or Romans 8 or, I mean, 1 Corinthians 8 or 1 Corinthians 10, things that some would have thought, man, this is doctrine. And so we need to understand these things and delineate between some of them so that when we bring this to a conclusion and say, now how do I come across to you? Do I offend you? in the things that I say? Do I offend you by how I say them? In contrast to the way we ought to behave toward one another. I want you to look at Ephesians 4. We were talking about this in our Bible class this morning. And of course, I'm using the text now differently than the actual context is given here, but, but we'll look at this broad principle of, of edifying one another through truth and through love. It says here in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, that Jesus Christ, in establishing his church, having victory over death, if you will, he gave gifts, if you will, for all in his kingdom. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The purpose of having this knowledge that we have is to serve one another. That's our ministry. And that service is to bring about this unity, this one body. This is what Jesus prayed for, that we would be one. And the thing is, we would have this through the truth, naturally, of who Jesus Christ is and what he desires of us as we live our lives before him. And so we know the purpose of knowledge. The thing is, sometimes we don't apply that knowledge properly. That's why you'll have passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, that says, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So how we share these beliefs are just as important as the beliefs themselves. Some have said to me, in, in justification for the way they come across to others, well, you know that, John the Baptist, as well as Jesus, there are times when he minced no words. When were those times when he minced no words? Was it to someone who believed in him that tried to live to the glory of God? Is that when he minced no words? Or was it with those who were rebellious against God, even if they were religiously leaders among the nation of Israel? Those who rejected the prophets 
those who thought themselves religious, if you will. Yeah, Matthew chapter 23 is pretty scathing. You can read John's remarks against the Pharisees, pretty scathing. Beyond that, I don't see that tone of, of words and voices. When he overthrew the money changers' tables, scathing. Look at the context in every one of those situations. Very different than when you have those who are trying to give themselves to the Lord. And they may not be doing it perfectly as far as you're concerned. Think about that. And think about these words. And so, what we have in the situation at the church of Corinth, with all the divisiveness that was being displayed among brethren there, look at what Paul says to them. And I want us to focus here for a while in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 because of the text and what it has to do with us today. Paul says there in verse 1 of chapter 8, Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And he gets to the heart of the matter. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing as yet he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, um, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know what an idol is. It's nothing in the world. And that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for Him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul made it very clear. Not just that there was one brother that said, you know, here's this meat that had been offered to an idol. I can partake. I know the idol's nothing. And here's a brother over here that says, you know, idolatry is sinful, and I want nothing to do with idolatry. Therefore, I'm not going to even eat the meat that had been offered to an idol. Do you suppose there are many type situations like that today? If we were to modernize 1 Corinthians chapter 8? I bet there'd be a ton we could come up with. And do you suppose that maybe the brother on this side that said he would not eat the meat possibly could think of it as a doctrinal matter? That anyone that would even so much as eat that meat offered to idols, they're guilty of sin. Have no appearance of evil. That's somewhere in Scripture, right? Don't be a stumbling block to others. That's in Scripture. And so, you know, we got all these principles and you cannot eat meat, therefore. Very clear. And Paul is saying, you know, some don't have that knowledge about the idol being nothing. And so, he's dealing with one aspect, although there are very many others that could have played into part of conversation. 
But it wasn't just the beliefs, but how brethren were treating each other. This side loves the Lord and doesn't want any appearance of evil. This side, do you suppose they want appearances of evil? <laughs> Man, I can't wait to let everyone know that I am so close to sin. That brother is saying, it's, I have nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that this is meat. This meat. And I want to buy meat. In fact, that brother might say, you know what? That meat marketplace where they sell, you know, where it came from the battle, it's a better deal, price-wise. And I'm a steward of God, and I believe that to be the best decision to be making to glorify God. I mean, that may be their decision. And so how these beliefs are shared are very, very important. So let's bring it to some, some of these modern examples of those points that I had made. When it comes to school choices, do you suppose that we have the freedom as Christians to say, I want to send my children to public school because, and give all your reasons. And you do it before God. And someone says, you know what? I'd rather put them in private school. We have the means. And you know what? For us, it's even stretching. It's a sacrifice to put our children in public school or private school. But because of these reasons in, that we may be pleasing to God, this is the decision we make. And then someone says, well, you know what? For all those reasons that you're talking about, I want our children to be homeschooled. Do you suppose every brother has that right? Yeah. That's a freedom that we have in Christ. But there's strong convictions among brethren along these lines. And I have heard things said and heard things about others who have said all kinds of statements. There's some brethren I've heard about up in the northeast part of the country who the entire congregation were homeschooled. Entire congregation, small congregation, but entire congregation. And some of the things would make me embarrassed as a family that homeschool children. I wouldn't want to look down on my own brethren that choose to have their children in these other venues, if you will. But on the same token, I wouldn't want to be offended by other brethren that chose differently than I did. Put me down saying, your children, man, that's kind of wacky. One, number one, the preacher's children, you already know that they're out in the field. Now you homeschool them, they have no hope. Sorry, kids. <laughs> but you know, it's one thing in light humor. It's another thing when it comes across very strongly. So you have these choices. What about family size? Stewardship. You know, to serve God, I believe it's wrong to have more than one child. And the other saying, you know what? I struggle with this concept of birth control. I mean, I really, really, sincerely do. You may not think much of it, but in, in my case, I'm wondering, am I not putting enough faith in God? And the other person says, oh, no, you have to exercise your faith through these means, and that's why it's okay to have birth control, and you go back and forth. But everyone has their own personal convictions, and so you have families that have large families. When I say large, six ain't large. Because I had six, right? I can say that. <laughs> but you get the point. We all have these choices that we're making, and we're trying to do it saying, Lord, how can I glorify you through the choice that I make in service to your will? There's nothing in Scripture that says you have to have this much or less or this much and more. We can go to Psalm 127 and say, you know what? Children are heritage to the Lord, and a man who has his quiver full, well, define full, Mitch. Hard to define. Say that definition a hundred years ago, and a, child, a family of one is, is very, very little. Children were wanted and children were needed, if you will, on the farm. 
and on other areas of life because of the circumstances. Today, we look at things differently. These are choices that, that we'll make. How about holiday participation? Right now, we're at the season where cards are coming out, and some are getting cards. Going, oh, what are these thoughts? You know, you have brethren that believe where any holiday is just wrong, period, when it has a religious connotation to it because of it's associated with paganism. And so, for them, they're not going to practice it, but they don't want you practicing it either because they want you to be holy and undefiled. Well, you come along, and you might be one of those that says, listen, I don't worship demons. I don't practice witchcraft. I don't believe in this Cupid fellow and, and so on and so forth. But you know what? I love giving a gift to my spouse. And I love sharing these gifts with one another. And then there are some brethren that go one step further and say, you know what? I know Jesus wasn't born on this particular day, but I'll tell you what, I rejoice with everyone when he came into this world. And if this world is going to celebrate that, I celebrate that. I've known brethren that have said that to me. There are some brethren that esteem days, maybe in a different context than what was read this morning in Romans 14, but from the principle given there, there are brethren that don't esteem any day above another other than maybe the Lord's day. And then there are brethren that says, you know what? This day is separated. Some brethren in their mind say, well, when these men were called to come to that, that babe had been born and bring him gifts, and other men were come to, to see this child that had been born, and that there was a special star that guided him, that day was separated from other days in this world, and that the Savior came into this world. It's a holy day. And they view it that way. Christians may not say, you know what? I'm trying to worship this tree. Or I'm trying to worship God that Jesus was born on December 25th. And the other brethren say, but I don't want any part of that association because it lumps me in and it condones these kinds of religious errors. You've got brethren on both sides. How do you handle your situation? How about, I don't know what, do we even have bake sales in various denominations? I just remember this when I was in Nebraska about 20 years ago and I heard about various bake sales the Baptist church would have. And there are brethren that says, listen, you, you go to that bake sale and you buy one of their cookies. You, what you're trying to do is give them money so that they can go preach false doctrine. And then the brethren are going over here, man, that cookie is really tasty, it's really good. And I just want a cookie. I mean, they're serious about the cookie or the, or the cake or whatever it is. And they're saying, listen, I can get a good deal on this cookie. I'm not trying to support their thing. I'm just trying to have a transaction. I could have got it at Walmart or I can get it at the bake sale. Maybe I've saved gas money, $3 a gallon, to go to the bake sale. Whatever the reasons are, there are decisions that brethren make along those lines. Now, do you suppose brethren on both sides need to be conscientious of each other? You better believe it. I believe the brother that says, I can go to the bake sale, could also say, you know what? I know brethren that believe it. That's just wrong. I don't want them having a bad conscience about me. You know what? I want to spend that extra $2 for the sake of unity. Because that's what Jesus prayed for. But I don't think it's wrong to have that cookie. And that brother over here is saying, you know what? I wish he wouldn't. 
But I'll tell you what, I know that for his reasoning that I cannot understand, he loves the Lord, and I'm sure there's a reason why he's going to do that. I, I know that he loves God because I've talked to him. He's conscientious. He's not just flighty and not thinking about things. Or do we think so little of one another as to not have convictions other than my convictions? What happened? And so we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So the question is, can we still have unity of the faith if we come to different applications regarding various matters that we just looked at? Are we able to do that? And so the case in point from First Corinthians 8 is meat offered to idols. To one, the meat was nothing. To the other, it was everything. Same congregation of believers. They're all in Corinth. Whether it was a Jewish-Gentile thing, or whether it was a Gentile versus former Gentile, or whatever the, the situation is, brethren came to different conclusions. All agreed that idolatry is sinful. And this morning, a brother read to us, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, flee from idolatry. Paul made that case very clear. Idolatry is in fact sinful. They can go back to the book of Deuteronomy or Exodus 20 or Exodus 34 and, and read from those Ten Commandments about idolatry and putting God above all things. So all know that idolatry is wrong. The application of that knowledge was different, however. And that's the key of what we're looking at. And so one ate no meat while the other ate and had no defiled conscience. By the way, just as a sidebar, who's the weak brother? The one that is less mature? The one that says, I can eat meat, that's all right. Or the one that studied, 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 saying, you know what? I don't want any appearance of evil. I'm, I know I'm using 1 Corinthians 8 in the actual text now, but, you know, I've studied it, and I don't want any appearance of it, and I don't want to be a stumbling block, so I'm not going to eat, eat those meats. I'll just make sure everyone knows I went to Atheist Market over here that had nothing to do with idolatry, and that's where I bought my meat. I want you all, brethren, this is where I shot. So you know I'm not going to try and cause you to stumble. There's going to be brethren like that. And within that case point, there's going to be brethren that says, now how come you're not shopping over here? If you're spiritually minded, you better leave Kmart. Kmart supports homosexuality. Their books and everything else and the liquor that they have in that store. And, so, and these are things, brethren... Mind you, I had just obeyed the gospel that were actually brought to my attention. Don't go shopping at that store because they started selling alcohol at the store. There was a time when there was no alcohol in the supermarket. So we boycott that store, and shouldn't you do the same if you're spiritually minded like me? That happens. And we may not intend to, but we might strong-arm others into thinking and believing and practicing exactly like me, or else they're not as upright as I am. And that's where we get into, well, the, the article, of course, the bulletin is gone now. I don't have enough copies. Uh, the spiritual bullies, if you will. Not the best title in the world, but I get the point across. That we may not even mean to be, but we might be strong-arming others into doing exactly what I think should be done, the way it should be done, and so on and so forth. And so we have these various case and points. So with our modern convictions, then, we all want what's best for our children, and we make a decision whether to put them in this school or that school. We all want to be good stewards, 
when it comes to families, and so we make our choices. So what's the answer? You know, it's amazing. Sometimes when you have a sermon and you use the word love, it's almost like, oh, there's that love again. I'm telling you, that's the epitome of what Christ has done for us. It is the epitome of how we should behave toward one another. And that is why that when love is exercised, that agape, that we look out for the very best interest of my brothers and my sisters in Christ, for my neighbors in this world, I'm going to exercise everything with that love. And so when I know that I've crossed the line with my light humor, I'll back off. Be more sensitive to how I'm treating one another. And so we, we see that love will do this. What it does and what it refrains from doing. All in the interest of another's conscience. In another's walk. In another's relationship with God. So practically, what does this mean then? Well, we read out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We also read out of Romans chapter 14. I want you to look at Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as well. And this goes back to, to what Jim was referring to when he was reading out of chapter 10. I'm going to back up to verse 23 instead of uh, verse 24 here. Because of what was said in our Bible class this morning. Beginning in verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. It's very similar to Galatians chapter 5, when you read verses 22 through 24. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and at verse 24, against such there is no law. You know why? Because all things are lawful in Christ. The one in Christ is not looking to steal and go, well, all things are lawful. The one in Christ walks in the Spirit. He does good to his fellow men. He loves the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind. He loves his neighbor as himself. And so he's going to practice that which is good, that which is upright, which pleases God according to his word, in spirit as well as in truth. And so he's mindful of other people. This is a person... All things are lawful. But just because all things are lawful in Christ doesn't mean it's all helpful. Just because you can go ahead and eat that meat that had been offered to an idol or that belongs to that marketplace where idolatry had been practiced and then that's where the meat had been sold to and they in turn want to make a profit. Just because you have that liberty doesn't mean you go ahead and exercise. Paul himself said, listen, if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, then I'm not going to do it. Do you know who the one that has the liberty to eat is regarded as? A strong faith. Not better faith. Not more spiritually minded faith. Just means the conscience is not defiled. That's all it means. And the one with the strong conviction that has no defilement should be thoughtful, should be mindful, should be loving toward the one that says, man, I just, that's strong. Don't do it. And I mean, not someone who's trying to be a diatrophies, trying to get his way. And so This is someone who's truly trying to serve the Lord. That's the context between Paul having one of his young men with him being circumcised and having one of his young men purposely not being circumcised. In both cases, to either edify his brethren or to make the case true or the point true to get across the doctrine of Christ. So we are mindful of the conscience of others, the things that we do. We are told not to judge the servant of God. 
Someone says to me, Mitch, of course we have to make judgments. Don't you know that when we teach the gospel, we're teaching it to those lost in their sins, and we have to know that they're lost in their sin. We've got to judge them to be lost to teach them the gospel. But that's not what this is talking about. We're talking about the fact that you have two brothers in Christ who love the Lord, trying to serve the Lord, and here's a case in point. We're not talking about obedience to the gospel call. We're talking about families, or we're talking about schools, or we're talking about um, our political views and what have you. Yeah, but Mitch, and then you go on with whatever the explanation. Amazing how it just boils down to something so simple as the fact that both people are, in fact, trying to serve the Lord. I mean, there are, do you suppose, brethren, there are brethren that says you cannot be a Democrat, or maybe a few generations, you couldn't be a Republican and be a Christian. Things have flipped. That literally believe that. Because if you believe in this political platform, you're espousing sin, you're condoning sin, you're upholding sin. By the way, Mitch, you erred because you brought politics into the, the pulpit. Sorry for offending you. You get the point. The point is that our brethren literally believe that. Do you suppose that the person that may be, whether it's Republican or Democrat, sinner, with no real gumption for God or His Word? Is it about that platform? And someone says, yeah, it's about the platform. No, the other person says, no, it's about that individual person. What's his morals like? And someone says, no, it's not about that. It's about the issues at hand, how we can have the economy and whatever. And there are all these reasons in their belief of God. Now, mind you, I have my own convictions, and I believe my convictions are the closest to the Lord. Do you believe that of yourself? You know, sometimes the scriptures, while they may be clear, our application make it more muddy than it needs to be. And as a result, we say these kinds of light humor to get our points across. Or sometimes we get across very firmly, it's my way or the highway. We don't need diatrophies here. We need brethren that love the Lord and are going to serve the Lord every day of their lives, pleasing to Him. And one of those ways is how we treat one another through those differences that we are obviously going to have. And so our words should be to build up. I tease Phil because I say, and I apologize to everyone because I need to have respect for my elder. And I remember saying, I pray about, please don't say something unkind to Phil. Please don't say, and the first word, something that, nah. light humor, right? Well, here's my justification. <laughs> so, you know, but we ought to use our words to build each other up. I mean, in all honesty and sincerity, we should be building each other up, not tearing each other down. And when we do that, then we get the conclusion. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, verse 32, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'm telling you right now, when we say words like, well, you don't, do you know what causes that? Or, my children are better than your children because I do this? That doesn't build up. There's some jokes that, you know, it's just insensitive. We need to think about these things before. Or when I have a conviction that says, you know what? I don't believe any of you should be practicing Christmas at all. You know, I was not raised that way. 
And I don't think it's right. It's not found in Scripture. I'll tell you what else. Just from a standpoint of consistency to an nth degree, this table and that vase is not found in Scripture. I hope my point is being made to you. And when we go from a Bible authority standpoint, I'm not saying that one excuses the other. Just because you can do one means you can do the other or vice versa. But what I'm saying is from a consistent biblical authoritative standpoint, there are things that, how do you put a vase and flowers into expediency for the purpose of our command to meet together? When we use hermeneutics that way, we need to be very careful because of our inconsistencies and demand from a doctoral standpoint, a very dogmatic standpoint, that says you cannot do this because of my belief and so on and so forth. That's not in Scripture. When we do something else, then we'll support it without question. So, brethren, we need to study to show ourselves approved. And what I say by that is being diligent in every aspect of our life, including the way we come across to one another. That I not look down upon you, but I look to you as my brother who has his own convictions. And while I might not agree with those convictions, I'll be happy to study with you why I think my way is better than yours. But at some point, I'm going to have to say, it's between you and God. I'm going to continue with my fellowship and I'm going to treat you like you are my brother and not the little stepchild. Think about these things from a practical standpoint and what it means for us because every one of us, we all have that knowledge. Whether I'm in the Lord for one year or a hundred years, we all have knowledge. And I want you to know my convictions are every bit as strong as they were than 20 years ago when I obeyed the gospel. And I've changed on some of those beliefs just as surely as you have on yours. But that vitality of of how we behave toward another is every bit as important to what we read in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, what Jesus prayed for in John 17, verse 17, that would have that oneness among the saints. And so we consider the conscience of one another because, number one, I'm not your God. On the day of judgment, I'm not going to be standing before you going, here's the way you lived your life. I'm going to be standing before God. He's the one who's going to judge me, and I'm thankful for that, because I'd hate for you to be my judge. Sorry. And I know you wouldn't want me to be yours. But I can guarantee you, we'll have a fair judge, a just judge, a holy and pure and righteous judge. And He's the one that, that counts. And if we can understand that, I hope it will help to humble ourselves before one another and before our God whom we serve.